year, Dan, when I saw um, John Leonard at one of the Dallas Cup games, he was bragging about his uh, soccer game. What was he bragging about? Just that I, you know, I got the sense he was feeling like, uh, you know, he's a bit of a ball, a bit of a baller in the making. Spaz. Did you call him a spaz? No, but I feel this is going to be the cold start. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast number 16. Hi, I'm Peter, and today there are three of us. Uh, Dan Crook has rejoined the pod. Rejoice, world. All things are right once again. Come in, Dan. Rejoice. Rejoice indeed. Thank you, Peter. I'm calling in from Kenilworth Road, where I'm currently hand-delivering the invite to Luton Towns Academy for the 2020 Dallas Cup. Now, am I correct in saying Luton has locked in their promotion to the championship? Is that correct? Not exactly, but I think we're five points clear with four games left, so all but. And are you wearing your Luton Town uh, nightshirt every night and snuggled up with your Luton Town mascot stuffed animal? No, because I'm an adult. <laughs> Why would that stop you? Same reason I don't get players' names on the back of jerseys. All right, so uh, Saturday morning you'll be uh, all cuddled up with your ESPN Plus watching the battle against Ackerton Stanley? Did you say African Stanley? No, I said Accrington Stanley. African Stanley is probably a better footballer than Accrington Stanley, to be that, fair. It would, and it would make for an awesome song to sing in the stands, wouldn't it? <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be amazing. Yeah, but that... please, give and us it, some inspiration. Yeah, that. and you'd probably get charged with racism, too. Actually, last time we played Akron... No, it was Morecambe, never mind. There was a, <laughs> a false racism charge at some point. I I need to go to a Luton Town game, but I only want to go with Dan. So uh, we need to coordinate that to ha- make that happen somehow, some way, my friend. Okay, I'll try and time it with uh, Bob's soccer trip, too. Yeah, I'm never getting invited on that. Um, okay, and of course, joining us to round out the uh, triumphant or the trio is none other than our fearless leader, the founder of ThirdDegree.net, and from the Dallas Morning News, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Actually, for real this time, calling in from the uh, host hotel for the Dallas Cup up here in Addison. So, man, you've on been on the road. You've been busting your balls all week uh, covering Dallas Cup and all things related to that. And you've been doing some, uh, you've been doing the Lord's work, Buzz. So uh, thank you. You're welcome, and I hope everyone has a chance to read some of it, and hopefully everyone has a chance to take in some of these games. It really is a fantastic level of play. The quarterfinal, semifinals tomorrow, excuse me, of the Super Group is going to be fantastic. Yeah, we uh, had a good time sitting there watching. We watched what the second half of Liverpool, NYCFC, and I think I stayed for the first yep. half of Dallas and oh, the Mexican team. I can't remember what the name of it was. Uh, Quitaro. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first time in quite a long while I had seen a FC Dallas U19 Academy team look second best. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about this. You know, the the current uh, downside, if you will, in some ways, it's a downside of the youth revolution, if you want to call it that, to play the kids, is that there's a trickle up effect, and so any given FC Dallas team in the academy has now lost two, three, four of their best players up a level or two. 
and you're filling in from underneath. So uh, they're not quite as winning as they used to, but in terms of progression of young talent, it's actually pretty exciting that some of the young guys are playing up and they're going to learn a lot from these games, even if they may not bring home quite as many trophies as they did in the past. Well, Buzz is correct. Uh, if you uh, have any soul, you will go attend, and even the free ones, uh, some F- some Dallas Cup games. No matter who you go watch, it's just it's too good to pass up and miss out uh, in our community. So that runs through Sunday. All right. Now, um, normally we would start the podcast by reviewing uh, the previous FC Dallas game, which is a odd victory over Portland last Saturday, but we're going to pause on that because in the hours prior to us recording this podcast, MLS did the most unbelievable hold my beer I think they could possibly pull off on Twitter, which is not only announcing that they are going to expand to 30 teams, they followed that up by revealing that they now are going to uh, participate in the youth payment structure for the first time ever, which uh, is a a one-two punch of pretty high proportions for anybody who's nerdy enough to care about such things for MLS. So, guys, let's start off with the uh, news about solidarity and training payments. Uh, MLS is getting into it. Uh, this is quite a big deal for a lot of people involved, but there's still a lot of questions left to be answered. Yeah, more than a lot of questions. They already have answered a lot of questions, and there still are even more questions because almost any given player in any given scenario might have slight differences and are going to be a slightly different landscape. Now, this the one really truly fascinating thing for me about this is this is just Major League Soccer saying this. Uh, USSF still is a neutral, we have no opinion So it's 100% on MLS to enforce this themselves and to make their deals with other teams around the world work this way. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how both how successful the league is in that regard and how other teams not MLS clubs in the United States are going to react to all this. It's fascinating. Yeah, it does. One does get the sense that the Federation, which is paid dues and fees by the thousands of youth clubs around the country, um, have uh, left them out in the weeds to fend for themselves, which I kind of understand and at the same time think is uh, a, a bit of a, a suspect on their part. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, problems that come with trying to be the enforcer for all of those clubs, the the, the potential lawsuits and all of that. Um, but it is at least a, a progressive move forward for the majority of clubs in this country that are likely to move players on to other countries. Yeah, I th- it seems like it is to me. I, I, I think that that's a positive move. You know, I, the the situations that you don't want to have happen uh, from a club perspective is you don't want to have your Weston McKinney's happen where a guy walks away uh, for nothing. Now, I still... There's still some questions there regarding, you know, are we if we're talking about a player who is completely free like this, can he still just walk away like that? I don't know enough about the the deep details of how this process works uh, to know if that's going to solve the Weston McKinney problem. They did specifically mention him in the articles where if he moves again from Germany to somewhere else, that that FC Dallas specifically will get a share of whatever his fee is for the solidarity payment. Yeah, there there is no go go back to now his first deal when he went to Germany in the first place. But uh, they did specifically say that if he moves again to another country, that Dallas would be involved and MLS wouldn't. So 
uh, again, it's, every situation is going to be different, and we'll have to see how it all plays out. But you know, if you're in a, if you're in a club that's in the selling business, uh, this is going to help develop the club because the money is going to you hope and you believe go back into investment in the club and in the team and in the facilities and all that kind of stuff. There's a problem in that, you know, uh, the solidarity payments are supposed to come out of 5% of a transfer fee. If a player like Weston McKinney doesn't sign a contract and walks away, well, 5% of nothing is nothing. Right. When you say, uh, doesn't sign it, are you saying doesn't sign a new contract after Schalke? No, like Weston McKinney never signed a professional contract with FC Dallas. Oh yes, so but... there was no con- there was no transfer fee in the initial case. He still would have walked away, and FC Dallas would have got nothing. Yeah, that's true. But but it, under the new set of um, uh, participation that MLS announced today, in that scenario, yeah. they would get some sort of compensation for training uh, worked out that they could go they could go to the DRC. And make a claim uh, to get paid something back from Schalke. Yeah, that's my understanding, and, and I think that uh, th- that's what they were directly quoted as saying about McKinney specifically. Right. Um, you know, the the thing Dan's right. The thing it won't solve is uh, the unsigned player who just wants to walk away and sign on his own as a free agent. You know, you know, you're gonna still gonna lose out on that entire transfer fee. You'll just get the solidarity part, which is better than nothing. It's better than losing him for completely zero. So at least you're going to get something. But uh, well, the, like the, I said, one, it's, it's a giant murky mess still. One thing with the DRC is, uh, and Crossfire Premier have uh, you know have been waiting for a result for four years now on um, Yedlin. On Yedlin, yeah, yeah. Um, it's expected to come out soon, but you know you, you think about like youth clubs specifically outside of MLS, if you know if and when it does come into effect for them too. Well, if clubs go bust in that time, there's not there's not going to be someone to claim the money at the end of it. Yeah, there's a, there's you know the the difference. I to my understanding, the difference between Yedlin and the um, um, uh, Bradley and Dempsey issues is that Yedlin's player passport has the proper documentation showing that he played for Crossfire. Um, if you look uh, if you look at Dempsey's and Bradley's, you'd never know they ever played youth soccer as it was uh, stated to me by uh, someone. Um, and 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 the analogy that I kind of make, which is not going to be fun for a lot of people is it we also didn't know it was bad for you to smoke back in the 50s. So in 2019, everybody knows uh, you need to start you know, documenting your players, uh, playing situation, uh, and keeping up with it so that if for whatever reason, uh, they turn out to be a professional soccer player, you have all the notes and documentation and I's dotted and T's crossed that maybe back, you know, 15 years ago, people just didn't think ever would be a big deal. Yeah. That's, you're getting into a level of, uh, understanding of how the mechanics of it work that is beyond, I think any of us who've never, at least myself, who's never worked for a club, you know, I, I know the basic principles of how it's supposed to work and how you're supposed to document things like that. But the the hard part, and this is where USSF is washing their hands, is they're not going to help anybody with this stuff. Like, you're 100% on your own. If you want to try and get this stuff, and MLS yeah. is going to be on its own if you want to try and get this stuff. There's no organization helping out and monitoring and policing all this thing. It's the Wild West in terms of getting your money. And that is obviously the big uh, complaint is that, you know, all the clubs that are not MLS clubs uh, don't have the power in the, in the legal army 
that, you know, I, I'm assuming that it backs up Major League Soccer's ability to fight these particular claims, uh, you know, Dallas Texans or Crossfire or um, uh, um, Polisics Club. I can't think of it off the top of my head now. Those clubs PA don't Classics. have, yeah, yeah, PA Classics, thank you, don't have the, you know, the, the finance, uh, financial power to do that work themselves. Um, so it will be fascinating to watch. I know a lot of people are still upset about even what was announced today, but it does seem at least some sort of progress was made on that. And then the other big news of the day, which was the, uh, the news preceding that, was, uh, I, you know, I don't know if this is stunning or not, but Major League Soccer announced that they have decided they're going to go from 28 to 30 teams. And uh, they hope to have announced and chosen those two expansion cities uh, by the All-Star Game this year. I, 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 and, oh, oh, and it's going to cost whoever wins $200 million. Yeah, and they, and they even went further to say that they're accelerating the process with Sacramento and St. Louis. So it's pretty clear that those two teams are going to be Sacramento and St. Louis. Uh, you know, that they all but announced the next two teams. <laughs> In a lot of ways. So those are the two teams that also in the last several weeks have released new stadium stadium renderings of what their MLS stadiums are going to look like. So it seems like it's a pretty well, pretty well on the path. And I, I'm okay with both those franchises. They're ones I would pick if I was in charge. I, I like the idea of 30 teams. I actually think eventually they'll go past 30 teams. So, um, you know, it's getting to be the size of other pro leagues. The 30 to 32 window is where most everybody is in the United States. So there is one uh, mystery spot still up because we've got 24 currently, Miami, Nashville in 2020, Austin in 2021, and then presumably uh, Sacramento and St. Louis, uh, which would leave yeah. us at 29. Yeah, the, 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 who the 30th team will be will be an interesting question, and you get into almost in a lot of ways sort of a bidding war or a who can one-up each other kind of award for that last spot of which there are anywhere from two to seven different teams depending on which list you look at that we're trying to get that spot so um that's why i think at the end they'll go past 30 but the fight for 30 will be fun to watch if you're into that kind of uh business side interests of mls makes you wonder if san antonio has any shot whatsoever uh at being that 30th team i i think austin killed their chances that's just my take i mean no one's told me that but if you're looking at a national footprint um, of a gigantic country, those teams are awfully close together. Well, uh, uh, anyway. Sa- Sacramento and San Jose are awfully close to each other too. You know, they are, but California is a bigger place, more people. Uh, you know, uh, it's no, not. So I mean, not... versus Texas, not really. No. Well, in terms of like, it's a more of a favored market. I don't know. If let's be honest, if MLS could, they'd stack the league with California and New York only. Well, I think yeah, I just don't. I, I just don't think that. Uh, I, I just don't. I think San Antonio. Once Austin happened, I think San Antonio's out. I, you know, as much yeah. as I, I would have preferred San Antonio. I think it's a better market than Austin. But um, it's, a, you know. it's a proven organization, great ownership, yeah. stadium to actually start with. Yeah, I wonder. So, does anybody have uh, a bet on what you think that thirtieth team is? Uh, I think the teams that look like they're in the driver's seat are probably uh, Phoenix. Um, and maybe Detroit because the owner in Detroit has got that MLS is talking to, which is not Detroit city has a lot of money. And then Phoenix, it seems like a big market um, and a, an established, pretty established franchise there. And that Phoenix rising, uh, that ownership I, I would group vote, as well is fantastic. Yeah. I, if I had a vote, I would vote for um, Tampa Bay to get in as, as a really big, that's a top 10 market that doesn't have a team. Um, I know Orlando's pretty close, but 
Orlando and Tampa are separate markets and they're both in uh, Tampa is a top 10 market. So that might be kind of where I might look, but um, those are probably the, the Phoenix and Detroit, I think are probably the ones that I think are most on the general radar at this point. Hmm. I was hoping somebody would say bug eaters FC because that's the most awesome name in the <laughs> land. Bug eaters is awesome. That's a great brand and a great franchise, but I don't think that's an MLS target market. Yeah, uh, probably almost. not. Probably not. No. Okay, now uh, we haven't said this, but we are in a celebratory mood because this is a winner's podcast. FC Dallas uh, hosting Portland last week, although I think we would all agree that wasn't uh, the sweet taste of victory. That uh, that one went down with a bit of a, a bitter taste because that, that was a weird 90 minutes uh, for this club um, uh, and how that victory came about. Well, you know, uh, ourselves and Lucci all talked about uh, what a good team Portland is, even though they're not getting the results. You know, it's still the same team that went to the final last year. They just happen to have a little bit of defensive breakdowns right now, which you saw against Dallas, and they and they're having to be struggling because they have so many road games. But you know, when they put uh, Valeri in, and when they put um, uh, Barco Blanco in there and those guys decided they wanted to try and take the game over man it was pretty hard to keep them off the scoreboard Dan are, we haven't had a we haven't had your thoughts on uh on some of the stuff that's happened over the last few weeks any particular point of view the <clears throat> any particular point of view you might have in terms of uh, what we're seeing from Lucci uh in what he's done in terms of starting lineups and substitutions and the timing and such um I mean, he's he's learning. There's a learning curve. He's got to learn to close out games properly. Um, I think we saw an element of a team that panicked at the weekend. Um, I mean, there was a there was a funny exchange. I wasn't in the press conference. I stayed upstairs to cover the North Texas game, but I was told um, someone asked how come in the previous game uh, to try and close out in Philadelphia, he'd put on. Um, uh, Andrasek instead of uh, bringing on say a defensive midfielder and his reaction was to kind of laugh about it and say are you saying I messed up yeah I guess I did it's a, it's a learning curve any do either of you have uh, any thoughts on what it is about um uh, the, the 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 players or the tactics or whatever you may think it is that's causing them to um, suddenly become uh, you know have to uh, like panic defend uh, and and really start getting overrun in the last 30 minutes of the game because it, it's a lot of what we saw in the game in Philadelphia uh, was a repeat of itself in the game at home against Portland well one of the players mentioned in an article this week I can't remember where I saw it so I can't cite it for you but mentioned that the way that they're playing this four through three possession and the high press wears them out. And so they tend to get tired over the last uh, stretch of the game. Uh, I think that's probably particularly true with the three midfielders. That's where you see the biggest attrition. And as those guys tire and you have to replace them, you, that's something when you start to see the drop off, you know, Cirillo for being an 18 year old rookie has done a phenomenal job, you know, holding possession, holding the middle together in the absence of uh, Brian Acosta and when they brought Ja'Cory Hayes in for him in the 78th minute against Portland, I think that's where you started to see some of the fall-off in terms of uh, possession and holding it together and holding the ball and keeping it away from Portland, you know, 
it's going to be interesting to watch this team as the games heat up and see if that aspect gets worse, see if they start to tire or continue to tire late in games and struggle late in games. You almost kind of want to bring, uh, you know, like a, a Peter Lucene type off the bench, someone who, may, you know, may not be uh, as quick as uh, as the starters, but an older head that just knows how to shut things down, slow down the play, dictate the play, dictate the pace and kind of, keep possession but isn't it that's the that's the uh singular difference between 2019 fc dallas and all the oscar perea clubs because oscar i'm assuming this was oscar's decision every year they always seem to either have or bring in a new older kind of elder statesman that could run around in the midfield slowly but at least do something in in trying to uh help retain possession and man it just feels like they don't have that in the, at this moment and and maybe oh, there's no question and, and maybe this is uh maybe this is really the highlight of uh, uh of them missing brian acosta the last few weeks yeah, certainly getting acosta back will help but i think there's no question that they're missing that kind of presence and but unfortunately this is the nature of going with a young team is you're not going to have the veteran presence off the bench that's available. So, you know, when, when you have a young team like this, you're going to have to learn how to kill off games. This is an important part of their progress, an important part of their what will advance them as a team over the rest of this season or maybe even part of next season. And that's a contributing factor and why you and I and everybody else thought this is not a top of the West team this year. This is a middle of the West team as they learn and progress and learn how to kill off games and learn how to be pros they'll get better. But right now they for sure are lacking that, as you say, a player, the Oscar would always go get that, that veteran guy off the bench that can just like Peter Lucene, you know, that you can, it's not going to start any games, but he's there to help kill them off. They don't have that guy for sure. I mean, most of them are so forgettable. I can't even think of the guy they brought in last season. Um, the old uh, Mexico player. Who was that? The midfielder. Oh man, I can't believe you. I can't believe you just asked me that. You know uh, who I'm talking about, right? I, I mean, do. It's, Abel it's, Aguilar. Yes. Yeah, Aguilar. Thank yeah. you. God, was Abel Aguilar. Aguilar. Thank you. I was yeah. never come. I would have never conjured up that name, but that actually just reinforces my point. Um, now, Dan, I'm going to ask you a question because I got to see the team for the first time in person all season, and as I was sitting there watching, I, it. One of the very clear questions about, um, you know, why wasn't Baji scoring? Uh, why don't we think we're seeing uh, Jesse get more opportunities? Became more and more clear to me when I could watch the team in, in kind of a full field environment, which is uh, this team just isn't really very good at getting the ball to their number nine. And I'm interested if you have an opinion as to why that is. I mean, isn't that the $64 million question? Yeah, but you're British, and I assume you know everything, and so you Fine, probably figured it out. Fine, the £64 million pound question. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, um, it's, it's that killer ball. It, it was there all through preseason. First game, it's not there. Um, Jesus is doing a far better job of dropping back and trying to pick up possession. Um, maybe it's just part and parcel of, of the, the nature of having the free eight as opposed to the the strict 10 that kind of dictates the play, um, particularly in those first few games when, uh, you know, Lucci would say Mascara was the primary playmaker from a kind of awkward position to be the primary playmaker and particularly with a player like Mascara who is hot and cold or nothing in between. Um, 
I, I, unfortunately, I don't really have the answer for you there. Hmm, that's disappointing. We pay you. We pay you a lot this, of money though. for this. Yeah, but in and when that check eventually comes, I'll answer it. With without Acosta, right? You're left with Grezzo, who's a holder. You got Cirillo, who's a holder. You got Arangis, who we've notably talked about uh, in the final third. He's not connecting with people. You got uh, Mascara, who's a little out of sorts, and he's more of a, a slasher with the ball at his own feet, anyway. And you've got Paxton, who's also a guy that runs at people. You just don't have in your front six a guy that's a nifty uh, passer and setter upper of goals. You don't have a Amaro Diaz. You don't have a, uh, a playmaking an Oscar Pereira in the first five or six years of his career. You know, there's, there's nobody that's that kind of player. The best so you, but- there really is is going to be Barrios, and he's learning to get the yeah. transition away from getting to the byline and trying to cross in to cutting inside and laying off or taking the shot himself. Yeah, his his game is a drive and cross too. So none of those guys are like the kind of guy that makes a nice little tidy leading pass right into the gap of the striker's feet. So it's just they just don't have that kind of player in their setup. The other thing that struck me uh, when kickoff started um, was the visual. And the and and kind of coming back to something I think we talked about several podcasts ago, which is I don't think we um, have taken the time to acknowledge the fact that you know a year ago the club brought in this young whippersnapper of a Chilean that was supposed to be the next Mauro Diaz, and several months later uh, we're six games into a new season and playing the playing the role that 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 guy was supposed to play is a kid out of out of the club's own academy in Paxton and stuck out on the left is Pablo Arangis and and it doesn't take you very long of watching him in real time to understand just how much better Pax is at playing soccer than Pablo is he is right now you know uh it helps of course that Paxton has been with Lucci for a long time and knows Lucci's system you know and is in a position now where he has coach has ultimate faith in him whereas Pablo is not Lucci's guy. Lucci didn't bring him here. He doesn't know Lucci's system and doesn't know the league. So it's entirely possible that a couple of years from now we'll be think we'll think we're crazy for having this conversation. But right this minute, there's no question that Paxton is uh, the MVP of this team and a lot of oh, let's give Carlos Grezzo some love. But Carl, Paxton Pomaco, at least in the offensive sense, is by far the MVP of this team right now. He's yep. the playing above everybody else, and it's no question that he's the most dynamic thing they have going. Okay. Then somebody, um, uh, either one of you, tell me uh, or debate me over this fact. If you watch uh, the starting 11 for FC Dallas last week, uh, argue with me that the, the, the players on the field that come out of the Dallas, uh, out of the academy, aren't clearly harder, uh, bigger effort players than any of the other guys that are not from the academy, maybe minus uh, Grezo. Am I, am yeah, I explaining I, that I right? Saying, but I, I think that's a little bit unfair to Marco Barrios, but that guy gives 100% effort. Okay, Bar- no, no, that's a good one. Yep, Barrios always gives 120%. He's my junkyard dog. You're absolutely right. Yeah, no, I, I you know, the, the kind of players that Dallas has signed out of their academy, they talk just as much about how their character and the kind of worker they are as they do their talent level. I mean, that's a part of it. And, so there's and, no question that they're, the players they're producing are, are better 
fighters and better workers and have that intensity to fight for their club. Yeah, I'm being hyperbolic. I, I, I uh, just I'm being dramatic for a reason. But in particular, while Arangis has done better at being at doing some of the dirty work and coming back and doing some defending, he's not very good at it. But I was particularly put off by uh, Mascara's performance. Um, like when they were really struggling to retain possession, he did some things defensively that were like just hard to watch. Uh, there was a moment late in the game where a Portland player won a ball and started to dribble into Dallas's half of the field, and Mascara just ran straight at him. Uh, and I have no idea what Mascara thought he was going to do, and the Portland player literally just made the, the the easiest skill move to get right around him, and Mascara just kept running right past him. And I. And, and it's that kind of thing that really separates some of the qualities that I think we see out of kids coming from the academy um, that sometimes I just don't think we all take a moment to really appreciate how good those guys really are. And they've, they've yeah, been brought I, up in the system. Well, but is that a system thing? I mean, I don't think that's necessarily learning the system, well, Dan. I think that's just like soccer 101 stuff, isn't it? Like being a like growing up and being a professional player and trying hard and 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 knowing how to defend properly too, right? In some places, you know, in some clubs, it's a case of you have a very specific role and that's what you do. Nothing else. FC Dallas, it's. Every player plays at least two positions. Every player gets forward. Every player gets back. Every player they defend as a team. They attack as a team. It's kind of a. It can be a strange culture to come into, and particularly with the young guys, they've been at the club for years. They've grown up in it. That's what they've known. They've idolized the players, and they're kind of willing to run through walls to, you know, to earn that paycheck and to, to be one of those players. I'm having trouble putting my finger on specifically what's going on with um, Mosquera because uh, in the spring, through all the scrimmages they had through training, I mean, I thought he was clearly FC Dallas's best player coming out of into the start of the season. He was doing things on the field. He was working hard. He was playing about as complete a game as you ever see him play. He was tearing people apart, going at them, tearing defenses apart. And then we got into the season, and that sort of sort of faded. You know, whether maybe he got a little banged up, he was always have that little hammy problem. You know, he got sick. You know, it's maybe it's just not going right. He's getting a little frustrated. He is a little bit of a, um, I'm not going to say fragile psyche, but he's a little bit of an up and down personality where he kind of has these great rises and these great depressions that, over the course of a season. So it's hard for me to put my finger on what the deal is with him because he looks so good you know, through March and into the season. And then, and, and now it's just, you wonder like, oof. I will say in his defense that this week, last week, excuse me, when I saw him in training, I thought he looked fantastic about as good as I'd seen him all season. He even scored a ball, for, a goal from midfield and then he didn't get picked. So I don't know whether that was just a question of he's coming back from an illness. And so we're not going to start him or whether there was some other factor going on there, there going on. But, um, he is a very hot and cold kind of player, and he's definitely in a cold window right now for sure. Yeah, he was super frustrating in that game uh, and and was in no way, shape, or form helping uh, <laughs> correct the problem of possession retain, retention, which does lead me to a question uh, for you guys. And, Dan, I'll let you go first. It, what do you think Lucci can do differently, uh, especially, and we'll get into the game with Atlanta uh, here in a second, but what do you think he can be doing differently to help his team in the last 30 minutes of the game? Learning um, in terms of his subs, um, especially in terms of timing, 
Um, he's, yeah, he's just got to ensure that the the most suitable eleven are out there at that specific time. And if they're trying to close out a game, maybe that means Brendan Savania instead of a Zdenek Andrasek or Mascara. Um, and really, uh, you know, not 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 burn us up at the start of the game, essentially. Um, you know, when he put Thomas Roberts out on the wing, probably not the greatest decision. Maybe it was a toss-up between uh, he and Nima Tomasi, uh, with, with Tomasi only just coming back from injury. For the uh, Philadelphia but, game, yeah. Yeah, for the Philadelphia game. But then you you kind of got that, well, if it doesn't work, we've got a substitution burnt, which later in the game can't necessarily make a defensive substitution. Uh, Buzz, um, I'm sorry, go ahead, keep going. No, no, no. Uh, Buzz, do you think there's anything to the idea that maybe Lucci gets a little stubborn in his how he's been um, implementing Grezo? Grezo seems to be playing far, much further up the field, and he's allowing Cerillo to be kind of that holding singular holding midfielder. And it seems like he almost waits a little too long before he decides to go ahead and pull um, Carlos further back and to help cover the front, the back four. Well, I think he. Uh, wants to play a single pivot, you know, and and have one guy anchor that position. Um, why why I, he doesn't just have Grezzo continue to do that and use Cirillo as a uh, linker, a more of a, an eight kind of thing? Because uh, he can play that. Evan can play that. We've seen him do it. So it's an interesting question uh, as to why he does it that way. Because, you know, the way Grezzo plays, you end up with more of a double six almost kind of thing, heading back towards uh, Perea territory. I, I would imagine that it has something It has something to do with not asking um, Cirillo to carry the weight of of holding the two ends of the field together. You know, that maybe Grezzo's better at that. I don't know. That may be a bit of a reach trying to figure out why he's doing that. I mean, you know, listen, when you get Brian Acosta back, it's going to solve a lot of these problems. You know, you're going to get uh, – Cerillo's going to go back to the bench, you know, and all of a sudden maybe you don't have to rely on a Roberts or a, a Ja'Cory Hayes late in the game. You'll you'll have Cerillo come in and late in the game. The one thing I would suggest as a possibility of subbing is don't forget that Ryan Hollingshead can play wing. And Ryan Hollingshead can play in the front six somewhere. And, you know, if you're looking for a veteran experience to try and maybe – hold the thing together a little bit, you can go to a Pedroso and for somebody and slide Hollings head up. And that, that can be sort of a veteran influence in some ways. So uh, Lucci has some options and, and we've talked about this too, Peter, many times is that you knew there were going to be some growing pains with Lucci too. He's going to have to figure out some of these things himself, how to sub, how to get his team to hold the game. So yeah, it's, it's... Um, this all feeds back into why we thought there was going to be a little bit of a struggle at the beginning of the season. And so we're seeing a little bit of those struggles. Yeah. I, I think it's one of the most fascinating storylines about this club and, and what makes it really interesting uh, is that it's a, it's, it's the entirety of, 
the growth that you have to watch uh, from the from the coaching all the way to the players. I, yeah. I, I I find it really fascinating. Let Let's spend a couple of minutes talking about the last few minutes of the game, and um, and we can uh, drag everybody down with a small VAR discussion. Um, you know, I think my biggest frustration out of that whole deal was just it just reminded me once again of just what a crappy uh, implementation of VAR is within Major League Soccer simply in terms of communicating to people in a stadium um, or in a press box for that matter what in the world is going on um, uh, because that was the perfect storm of things happening where you could tell there was very very few people you could probably count them on one hand that had any clue what was happening in particular with the Hollingshead uh, incident. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't it like another forty five seconds of play had gone by and they had to go I, all the way back. And I think it, it was. I think it was almost a full minute after yeah, the incident. Was, yeah, he waited. Yeah, it was crazy. And, and the part that I don't know is did did the VAR official see it? Tell the referee, and the referee decided to wait till the ball went out of play to go back. Um, he and, has to wait until it goes out of play. Okay, so maybe maybe that's the the reason for that um, uh, for for that length of time. But, man, how do you guys feel about – I mean, I'm sure everybody's feeling relieved, but if we're all taking off our uh, uh, hoop-colored glasses, um, you know, do we think he made the right decision? I'll start with you, uh, Buzz. or No, I'll start with uh, you, Dan. Well, I may or may not have spoiled it earlier, but the Professional Referees Organization released a video earlier today that they're uh, – manager of senior assistant referees and video review operators that is a terrible job title <laughs> greg barkey um supposedly came out and said that in pro's official view that should have been a handball certainly um the you know the broadcast views all made it look like it was handball uh there was a view that uh an fc dallas fan tommy uh posted on twitter that was kind of like made it seem like okay it was going towards his body it wasn't the arm may have been in an, in an unnatural position but it was going to hit him in the shoulder kind of or close to the ribs and he was moving his hand away close uh, you know close contact or that deal um we'll say as well it was really weird in the press box obviously we kind of knew because you know we'd all obviously seen the handball and watched Barrios and Paxton take up the other end and then it come back and logically that was the only thing that could have been reviewable but um, it would be really nice if uh, if VAR was done in line with everywhere else where it's or every other sport where it's play the view play the telling view on the on the video screens and kind of let people understand and maybe even keep audio of the conversations um Buzz, did you uh, think the right call was made? Uh, I would have called Hollingshead for a handball. For me, that that arm is in uh, too weird of a unnatural position. That's not sort of that's not to me uh, something I would have let pass as a as a former crap referee. I definitely would have called that one, and I would have not have called the one on Paxton. I thought that was not a PK. I thought oh, that, that guy was, just yeah. We haven't yeah, even that we, was just sort of a brush, and, and Paxton was fine. But Holland said I would have called. I thought that was an handball. Yeah, the thing of Holland said I thought is at the time I said uh, uh, you know I said 100 percent penalty, and then in watching the referee review it, 
uh, from the same angle on the close up on on the TV and you know if if you're reviewing a clip 20 times in slow motion you're probably going to give the benefit of the doubt to the defender at that point. Well, I would say if you're having to watch it 20 times, you're going to give the benefit of the doubt to yourself as the referee who made the initial call. Yeah, he's also. not going to overrule himself. That's that's there wasn't anything about it that was like, oh man, I've screwed this up. I better well, recall it. It's if not was clear exactly and obvious error if you have to go into that great a detail. Well, yeah. you know, at, at the press conference, uh, uh, I think it, I think I asked him, I don't remember, uh, at, uh, Lucci, if he had seen the replay, and he said no. But what he had been told uh, and how it was described to him was the reason why it was deemed not a handball is because the ball deflected onto Ryan's hand from somebody's head meaning that the Portland player wasn't heading the ball as a shot on goal. It was more of a deflection off of his head, and that hit Ryan's arm. And the the way the law is written is that's not deemed uh, a, a foul. Um, or uh, uh, and, uh, and, you know, you can kind of – I mean, that's a lot of parsing, right? And, again, it gets back yes. to the point where if you're going to ask somebody to review a decision they made on the fly and they can sit there and watch it 20 times and not feel like – uh, it's an obvious error. They're always going to go with their initial call, um, which, which again, yeah. makes the decision, the upcoming news that the EPL will allow VAR to make those decisions going forward uh, really fascinating. Um, one of the things that I've learned from my English referee homestays that are here this week for the Dallas Cup is the, is the argument behind doing it that way is not dissimilar to the effect of goal line technology, which is because it's a computer, nobody complains about it. Well, with uh, a VAR official making decisions somewhere else, people won't complain about it as much. I laugh too about that idea. People are still going to bitch right. about it, but it's harder to it's harder to argue with somebody that's not standing in front of you. Um, if if he looks at you and says, "Hey, look, it wasn't my decision; it was somebody else's in a box's decision," and that's an interesting thing that'll be fun to watch next year uh, when the EPL institutes it that way. My one statement about that is that, that over the history of soccer, one of the things that's been true about the referee in the center is that he's in, universally in charge. He's the king. Whatever he says goes. This is the first time I can think of where they're taking that responsibility, something a higher authority away from them. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you, um, but that's also a byproduct of technology, and um, yeah. you know we we've seen a lot of the pros and cons of VAR in the last hell just the last seven days with the stuff that's happened in Champions League um, and in some other in, uh, other places. Um, you know, it, it's here to stay, and it and yeah. it and and. Um, Next thing you know, the stadium clock will be official. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's the new normal, as uh, somebody yeah. once called it. Um, okay, so now uh, it's an interesting trip to Atlanta. Dallas, as a club, is facing back to back the two previous MLS Cup ad- uh, uh, opponents, um, who at the moment, uh, well, at least up until this week, uh, neither of which had won a game. So Dallas goes to Atlanta and has to play in the in the uh, uh, robots anus, known as Mercedes-Benz Arena. And, um, and uh, well, it is. I mean, it looks just like that, yeah. doesn't it? Robo-rectum. Robo-rectum. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag robo-rectum. I implore yeah. everybody listening to the pod to at least once on Twitter hashtag robo rectum for us 
and we'll all know what you're talking about. Um, but Atlanta did get their first win of the year with Frank DeBoer as coach, and uh, I don't know, Buzz, uh, this seems like this is one of the really good tests of the season for this team. Yeah, this this feels like a game that's going to uh, be a problem. Uh, this is the this is the kind of team where you're going in against a team that's been struggling, and all of a sudden they kind of figure it out like the week before you play them, and that makes it really, really hard. Uh, the, the only gigantic takeaway I have from Atlanta is that I have no idea what their coach DeBoer is doing, no, and Joseph see. Martino only has one goal so uh, on the year. So those are two crazy things to me. Uh, you know, I, it looks like a Brian Acosta could be available. He traveled, so I don't know why they would have traveled him. You know, maybe it's a last minute physical test, hoping he'll play. So maybe he'll be back. Maybe that'll be a nice uh, boost going into Atlanta in the uh, recycled jersey game. Oh, that's right. They're wearing those ugly. Oh my yeah. god. Okay. At least they didn't get the toothpaste toothpaste uniform. They get the black one, so that's fine. That's the other hashtag: toothpaste. <laughs> toothpaste. <laughs> toothpaste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the three hashtags for this game are hashtag ATL FCD, hashtag Robo Rectum, and hashtag Toothpissed. Yeah. <laughs> Toothpiss. Oddly enough, two of those are actually the names of Atlanta rappers. <laughs> They're uh, the new uh, hype men for uh, Paperboy. All right. Well, here's an interesting stat I'm just, I was just looking at. Uh, on the season, fouls suffered. Atlanta only 44, Dallas 102. Oh. So all that possession is leading to a lot of people being kicked on this Dallas team. Paxton, I think, is second in the league in fouls suffered. Yeah. Paxton's getting his 19-year-old ass kicked every once in a while. There were a couple of moments uh, in that Portland game yeah. Um, uh, where he got it from Chara, and and credit to Paxton, uh, he certainly gave his he took his own pound of flesh, um, and I was quite pleased for him. I was I was I was whoever I was sitting watching the game with, I was commenting that every week I watch Paxton, he reveals yet another uh, qu- new quality and skill. And from the PDX and from the Portland game, it was his willingness to go get his own pound of flesh. Uh, so I was delighted by that when he uh, got his yellow card uh, for. Kicking the crap out of Chara. Uh, he even acknowledged it after the game. Faxon did. He said, "I got mine." <laughs> yeah, good for him. I that. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how Lucci's tactics uh, face up against DeBoer's. Who's? I think I'm saying this correctly. Somebody tell me I'm wrong. But I, isn't he running some sort of weird three-four-three formation essentially? Up until uh, he's played three different formations in the last three weeks. He had run three-four-three through the Champions League and start the season. Um, they went away to Columbus. He played in a, a, a 4-3-3, and then the last week he went to a 4-2-3-1. I just hope that we're going to get to see old friend Breck Shea try and mark Michael Barrios. That'll be we'll play at left back and get sent off. Yeah, it could be for an entertaining day. Um, how do you how do you prepare for that? A team that's, you know, they're trying to figure out who their playmaker is without... Uh, uh, Almiron, and now now suddenly they're playing a new formation every week. They've got a clueless coach, and it's now you're clueless as to what he's doing as well as he's clueless to what he's doing. Well, they've got enough quality on the field that, you know, at some point, and maybe this is what happened last week, uh, you know, formation and tactics be damned. Sometimes just the quality shines through, and you and the fact they're – I think they won that game at home, didn't they? No, it was on the road. They've, uh, they've yeah, tied both games at home. 
Ah, okay. Um, so, you know, I, it, it, I think Buzz is right. This doesn't smell good going into it, but there is a lot of uh, goofiness going on with Atlanta at this moment. Uh, you know, you know, Lucci's got the team well organized. The, my concern is, is that just because they're so inexperienced, um, uh, you know, they just aren't really good at closing out games once they've gotten a lead, whether they deserved it or not. And, uh, I, you know, I think the best hope we all have is that Acosta's back and they can get some experience back yeah. in, the, in the center yeah. of the field. Well, certainly Dallas as a collective is playing better and they're certainly a well-organized team and you like their their youth and their energy, but you know, Atlanta still has the difference makers. They still have Martinez and they still have Barco, even though he's been coming off the bench, he's got three goals on the year, two last games. So they got guys that can just like Portland did, they got guys that can elevate and rise above the game. Dallas so far doesn't really have that except for maybe Paxton. So well, yeah, even the further back, you've got guys like out. the Renowitz and, and Parkhurst to kind of handle those younger attacking players. Yeah, that's those those two dudes are what Dallas is missing, at least in uh, the, the Lorenovich and midfield part is for sure. Yeah, one of the things that, and I know, Buzz, you haven't had an opportunity to watch practice this week because you've been out at Dallas Cup stuff all yeah. week, is, you know, in my mind, if Baji is healthy, uh, there's a part of me that would really like to see this team, because uh, I'm just not, I'm not buying it with Pablo and or Mascara, uh, putting Baji back at um, the nine and moving Jesse out wide uh, on the left, and, and what we would see out of that, I, I think you've said you we saw some of that in the preseason am, am i on to anything there in terms of a concept or an idea well we saw a lot of that i mean that was because um Baji was the go-to guy we saw a lot of jesus Ferreira as a winger um but we also for one game this year we've seen jesus as the nine and Baji as the left wing and, and other than the point blank shot that Baji made in that game that was incredibly brutal miss he actually played a pretty good game in that game so i, I wouldn't be stunned to see Baji play as a wing you know, when he when he was brought here by Perea, one of the things Perea said was, in the long run, Baji's probably a winger for us. You know, so it's it's entirely possible that either one of those options are plausible if Baji is healthy. Because you're right, neither Mascara nor Arangis has 100% sold us during the season as that left winger. I mean, preseason aside, where Mascara had, but uh, in the games he hasn't. All right, boys. Um, Dan, I'll start with you. Do you have a, have a prediction for hashtag RoboRectum? Don't do your predictions. Oh, that's right. You don't do them, which is really weird. Um, Buzz, you got one? Uh, yeah, I don't feel super good about this game, but I, I think they might get a 1-1 draw on the road. Interesting. All right. Before we end the podcast, I want to uh, discuss with you guys a comment that I heard um, made by Lucci Gonzalez, coach of FC Dallas, for those who are joining in late. Um really late. Uh, I think it was yesterday. Uh, they've been doing, uh, you know, they've been uh, uh, streaming a lot of the uh, GA game, GA Cup games on Twitch, and Bobby Warshaw's in town, and he's been doing a series of these kind of like live panel discussions or one-on-one discussions, and they did one with Lucci Gonzalez, and I only, and I just happened to pop in on it very, very late, and somebody from the audience uh, asked Lucci about scouting and 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 some of his thoughts about scouting and I'm paraphrasing here uh, I'm not directly quoting him but essentially towards uh, kind of as a side comment Lucci said something along the lines of hey you know we need to, I want the best talent from all of my other teams 
uh, from all the other teams in my area, um, and I don't want to be satisfied or um, be willing to just say, oh, no, they'll never come play for us. And I, I thought that was, one, a re- really refreshingly honest um, ad, uh, admittance publicly to say that, but I also find it to be oddly in conflict with uh, the fact that the uh, company and brand that he works for is also trying to sell a consumer-facing product uh, uh, at the same time, because that does feel like you are poisoning uh, the waters that you're also fishing in uh, for selling season tickets because you're openly saying, hey, we want to take all of the best players from the other club teams in town. Uh, and I'm just wondering if you guys feel like, is that just the realities of the situation? Or is that really more of indicative of maybe a lot of the problems that this club has uh, with kind of what, you know, with uh, kind of the fractured relationship that it has with the local club soccer community? Well, I think there's no question that they've, fractured some of their local relationships um on on one level i agree with them it's like i feel like there should be nobody that you can't get from your backyard that's the way it should be it's you know everyone in this town should feed the one division one pro team um now i think they could be better about it that's the other side of the coin is like you can have that philosophy and you could do that more politically you have to help out the other teams in your area you have to maintain these relationships and build these relationships so that you're not seen as stealing as much as you are um just being seen as the next step or being the reward you know it it might help if if uh, fc dallas wasn't playing these guys every week in the da i uh, you hate to say that about the da but maybe it is would be important to not have the mls teams against these other teams because then maybe you could be seen as a step up. And there are some clubs that have done good things. I think it's Atlanta that lists when they, when they list a player that they bring into their Academy, they talk about the team they came from. They, they give a, some publicity to those organizations. They don't just say it's Atlanta United's this guy. It's Atlanta United's and whatever team he came from guy, you know, they, they try and make a reciprocal relationship there. And, and up till now we haven't really had solidarity payments, but maybe, if Dallas has a guy that they've brought in from somebody else and they move, move them on, maybe they could share the wealth. Maybe they could try and do that. Maybe they could do it out of maze. Maybe, maybe they could help develop facilities. Maybe they could help develop coaches. You know, it's like, there's a ways to maintain relationships. And yet still, I think have that philosophy of we should have all the best players in town should come through our Academy. I think that's a, a fair belief to have. That's the way it is all over the world. And you do have to cultivate those relationships. You know, uh, whether it's, you know, we'll take this player for for pra- for training a couple of days a week. Um, they'll still play for your DA team. You know, we'll get them integrated so that they can maybe come with us for the last year, and then we get the GA uh, the homegrown claim on them, or we'll sign them to a USL deal or something, and we'll throw you a, a you know in in the UK the arrangements always. Uh, we'll 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 pick up the cost of your kits for the next year for all your teams, or uh, we'll play a, a a token friendly and you keep all the all the gate receipts, or you know, like uh, like Buzzley do some some facility help or anything like that. You know, um, I I think I'm saying this correctly, uh, Buzz. You mentioned Atlanta. And I, I think I understand the way Atlanta is doing this, is that Atlanta is strictly a, uh, a DA academy. They don't have a full-on um, 
pay-for-play youth structure. Um, and the other thing that I and I think what I understood is they absorbed one of the larger clubs in the Atlanta area. Um, again, I'm going by a couple of conversations. I don't know if I'm uh, totally being accurate about this, so please don't kill me if I'm not. But what I found interesting was was uh, the people that I've talked to have said, yeah, that Atlanta did this really, really well uh, in terms of they're not constantly competing against everybody across all different age groups. And if they take a player, if a player decides to go play for Atlanta to go join their academy, Atlanta makes a clear and obvious effort to help that. That club find a replacement player um, at the same time, and I and I thought, wow, that's you know that's really thoughtful. If that in fact is the case, and to be true, somebody may uh, send us a note or email me and tell me I'm wrong. But that's the kind of thing I think Dan's talking about that w- that may separate the differences uh, and why uh, one club seems to be getting along in its community versus the other one that just doesn't seem to have everybody's support. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's a. There's, there's, there's probably isn't a universal answer to this, you know, but there definitely could be some significant relationship building that's not happening. Uh, and there definitely is damaged relationships. You know, I, I think Dallas could def- could for sure do a better job about it. You know, I, there have been some kids that have come through other academies that were, that, that have said, no, I'm never going to play for FC Dallas. There have been a couple. So it's, I understand that that's the other side of the coin too. Kids can get poisoned against the club by their, you know, current team. So it's like, it's a two way street. There's a two way relationship there that those relationships should be built just not for fan base, but for uh, the idea that you want your whole city and all of your clubs in your city buying into the, the first team being the thing, the MLS team being the thing. So it's like, you want you want your whole city pulling in one direction. And right now it's not. Well, you also want your whole city looking at it as there's a natural progression from no matter which youth team you're at, that you could one day play for the MLS team, not the, yeah. you know, if you play for solo and if, you know, you're either Blaine Ferry and you're good enough to go to your, try Europe or you're really hoping for a D2 college scholarship. Yeah, I, I, I certainly think of all of the reasons why this team struggles with attendance and, and media attention and all of you know the things in terms of uh, popularity, uh, that is one particular issue that just doesn't get talked about enough, which is uh, the, the relationship problem between the club and what is arguably its, its most, uh, 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 most likely source of season ticket holders, which are people that really love the game and are, are, are involved with it all the time. And I just don't think people talk about that enough. Well, that, that might be one way, as I said before, where a national MLS youth set up to not have your MLS teams be in the DA might actually help because right now it's not only do you take my player, then you turn around and play them against me and beat me. It's like, well, if, if it, if it was a step above the DA where, yeah, you're taking my player, but he's moving up to equivalent of moving up from AAA to the big leagues in the sense of a developmental level. So that maybe that's a reason why that in the long run, that might be the progression of the whole thing goes. Plus to be honest, like on any given week, the, the the teams that FC Dallas is playing in the DA League are not providing particularly big challenges. It's not difficult games for FC Dallas because the talent level is just different. It's just not as good. Yeah. Um, there's actually um, saying about the uh, the season ticket holder base. Um, when the uh, FC Dallas women's team were uh, were looking to branch out of FC Dallas over the whole being treated like second class citizens thing. 
uh, one of the discussions was FC Dallas have offered X amount to run the team or take FC Dallas's name off it, triple the attendance on a weekly basis because even though you know a lot of the a lot of the players had come from like um, Solar SC, the people who were really invested in Solar were like, yeah, we're not going to come and watch you. We we're not giving any money to anything with FC Dallas in the name. So it definitely runs through to to all the teams. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've told this story a hundred times, and and nobody believes me until they actually hear it directly from somebody associated with one of the clubs. But they, it it the the story is true. There are there are club managers and coaches that are that compete against FC Dallas that actively tell their players, "I never want to see you in that stadium at an FC Dallas game." I mean, it just it, and as awful and as alarming as that sounds. Uh, it has happened before. Yeah, and that's a shame. It's unfortunate. It's like, you know, someone needs to uh, get some people together and try and solve this problem because it's definitely not helping anyone. Well, relationships are like this. It's not helping us. Dallas It's not helping the clubs either. It's right. Not no, you're absolutely right. The board. But yeah. we, you and I have talked about this. We've talked, uh, we've written about it and I've talked about it on, uh, on the radio show that starts with the club and whether that's right or yeah, wrong, because it, it is a two way street. It, it is, it, this is all about, uh, the hunts and the people that run the Academy and all of those people associated with that, uh, taking a leadership position in making a very, very clear set of maneuvers to show uh, that they, they're not everybody's landlord, that they want to be a leader in this community, and they want to help everybody also grow in their own way and their own clubs succeed. Um, uh, you know, that would be the best way to do it, but I, you know, it hasn't happened so far, and I don't know if it ever will, unfortunately. There's so many ways to do it as well. Yeah, no. I mean, it, you can have a youth team out as ball kids and player escorts while give the you know the the club one of the available suites on the weekend and say yeah um just come have some have some fun enjoy you know fc dallas isn't the big bad wolf you know how about on some of those giant uh, mural photographs that they have hanging all over the stadium instead of it being just fc dallas teams how about you highlight some of the and show off some of the other really yeah. good club teams in town boys and girls oh, hold on they, they haven't got to the point where they're advertising fc dallas as much as the opposition yet let's not go too far <laughs> <laughs> so there's lots on jerseys we can put that's right jerseys. yeah well it uh, just to kind of uh take it back to the beginning of this i i you know, I don't think Lucci meant it uh, to sound uh, the hyper-competitive way that I inferred it, uh, but I did find it very interesting that he was willing to publicly talk about how he wanted to take the best players from other club teams um, uh, for his own. Um, and and uh, when you hear it that way and you start to think about the relationships and, and the environment and kind of the... the uh, the vibe going on between FC Dallas and all the clubs, you could see why somebody from another club would hear Lucci say that and, uh, you know, get a little upset about it or uh, at least uh, unhappy about it. Yeah, that's the way the academy looks at things. You know, like when they need, just to throw a random uh, concept out, when they need something like a left back, they don't go down to like the bottom ranks of their own club and say, hey, I need a left back, come on up. They might look at somebody else's number 10 and say, why don't you come to us and be a left back? You know, so it's like they they look for the best talent available 
and, and, and adapt it and mold it and take it from wherever they can find it. And it definitely has ended up with a scorched earth policy, you know, and but, I, as a general principle, I don't mind it. I just think they just need to be better about how they do it. At the same time, I think you have to also consider that of all the homegrowns, Jesus Ferrer is actually the only one that's come through FC Dallas on its own. You know, yeah. everyone else has come through a solar or Texans or you know, whoever else, really, FC Premier or someone like that. Who was Paxton with before he joined the club? Solar. Solar, okay, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think his dad also played for Solar, too, uh, Kevin, back in the day. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, man, we covered a lot of ground and killed a lot of time, and uh, it's all because Dan's rejoined the pod. I mean, you know, goodness, things are just right with the world when Dan's back. Wow. I almost believed that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, I think the uh, Dallas-Atlanta game is on ESPN at um, uh, 4 p.m. Is that right? 3 Central. 3 Central. Sorry, I was working Eastern time. So 3 I Central. I because I'm looking right at it. <laughs> ah, excellent. I'm glad somebody's checking out the facts. Um, yeah. um, I'm too lazy to do it. All right, well, uh, let's see how that goes. That'll be an internet. Uh, that'll be an interesting national broadcast um, in really awful jerseys. Uh, but, uh, you know, what are we going to do about it? Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you again next week on Third Degree, the podcast.